Uh, well, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast. Excitingly, this is the UK tour that we've been talking about for about four or five months, uh, and we finally got there. Absolutely nothing to do with my guests, all because of me, between floods in Brisbane and COVID and uh, work schedule and everything else, we just haven't been able to uh, schedule this. And I'm really pleased today to have our first uh, guest as part of our uh, our UK tour, Charles Tavner. Charles is the CEO of Flylogix, and we're going to talk a hell of a lot about that over the next uh, little bit of time. Charles, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, very good, Andrew. Great to speak to you. And uh, we, we said we're doing a UK tour. Um, so whereabouts are you? I'm sure our listeners want to know. Yeah, so we're down on the south coast of the UK in a city called Portsmouth, so about an hour out of London. Okay, great. And and I can see, but our, our listeners can't, a, a lovely um, UK morning behind you with sun streaming through the window. What what sort of uh, what sort of weather have we got over there at the moment? Uh, overcast, typical UK <laughs> day. <laughs> the, uh, the the looks are deceiving because it looks lovely, but um, yeah, I'll yeah. take that anyway. <laughs> hey Charles, um, I, I want to talk a lot about FlyLogic and what you guys are doing. I've, I've read up on your website and I've seen the work you're doing, and uh, which is why our team and Zach and Chris reached out to your company to see if you'd come on and have a chat, but. Let's talk about you first. Um, what's your background? How, how did you get to be the, the CEO of um, FlyLogix? Where did you come from? Yeah, so, so Andrew, it's kind of one of those stories of you can't join the dots going forward. So I, <laughs> I started my career probably in the right place as an aeronautical engineer at Cambridge. But then I worked for about 10 years for an engineering business called Cambridge Consultants. And we, we developed or developed a lot of hardware for Iridium. Uh, and at the time, I didn't realize the significance of that, but we were, were doing a lot of work on satellite development. I then went spent about five years at a um, venture capital firm, um, so a UK-listed venture capital firm doing the kind of finance side of technology, and then more recently built a, a big technology business uh, called Magma in the, in the energy services space, from sort of four people in a, in, a, in a small serviced office to a massive engineering business that got sold uh, to Technique FMC. And so I've kind of seen all the different aspects. And in my time in energy services, I started to see this opportunity around drones, and that's where Flylogix was born. Right. And so how long have you been with Flylogix for? So we founded it, um, I think, actually about seven years ago. So it's probably been going going quickly now for for five or six years okay great and um i've got a little bit of further tidbit of information here and, and i'm sure i'm going to embarrass you with talking about this but um i think your career in aviation started a little bit earlier than you heading off to uni and doing aeronautical in- engineering would, would i be correct in that uh, yeah so i have a i had a fascination <laughs> from a very young age and, and yeah there's the documented point when I was about 13 or 14 when I bought an English electric lightning. Uh, yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, that was probably my first entrepreneurial activity in the aviation space. There you go. I, I love it. So, you know, everyone here who thinks they've been around aviation for a while, um, you've been doing it since you were 14. So that, that's, um, that, that's pretty, that's kind of cool. And I like the fact that, you know, you didn't come from a traditional, you know, uncrewed or, or crewed, you know, background in aviation. Um, have you found that to be, I guess, a bit of a, um, you know, you haven't come from being a pilot necessarily. Has that been a hindrance in, in what you've done recently? Or, or have you found that coming from an engineering perspective has, has kind of helped you? Um, I think I think coming from a diverse background has been helpful because what you see is to make an unmanned business work, 
you've got to bring together lots of different things. So you've got to bring all that pilot experience and that understanding of air law and things like that. Um, but equally, there's a whole load of stuff around the sort of aerodynamic engineering. There's a lot of stuff around uh, code about how you interact with satellites and almost not being brilliant in any one space has been a huge, a huge uh, advantage for me because I can sort of, I'm surrounded myself with this sort of amazingly talented team in each of those different disciplines. And um, you've done some work around startups and stuff as well. And I think um, you, you learn a hell of a lot in startups and rip out a fair bit of hair, I think, as well. What did, what did you take out of the startup business you've worked in previously that you brought into FlyLogix? Is there anything in particular that stands out? Well, there's probably a couple of things. So, so, so the first is the, the, the need very early on to actually do the real service and sort of touch the customer. So, you know, if you, if you develop in a vacuum, um, it's, it's very, very difficult. You could be lucky, but it's very difficult to, to get the service right. Um, and then the other thing is, is the sort of the need for finance. So you mm-hmm. can have the most brilliant engineers around you, but ultimately, if you want to build a business of scale, you know, you need to match the finance so the business can go with that. And, and, and so certainly my years in venture capital were, were sort of really, really powerful to understand how finance works, how it interacts with the engineering. It sounds like there's a bit of um, head and heart in that in some respects, you know, that the heart concept is around that you're defining the problem and, and, you know, really caring about the problem. And the head part is, well, I'm not going to be able to sell this solution to anybody if I haven't got the finance to develop it. Um, is that is there a bit of a labour of love in some of the work you've done in the past and do now? Yeah, I think so. But, I mean, that's part of the fun of it. The whole fun of it is balancing, is bringing all that stuff together and making it work together. It's not one thing or the other. Yeah, fantastic. Well, let, let's talk about FlyLogix now. So um, we, we, you're the CEO, obviously, you know, you're run, running the rock show and, and having all the fun at the top. Um, what is FlyLogix and, and what, what is, I, I like to talk to my guests around what is the problem that you guys are, or your company is trying to solve? Yeah, so actually, if you go right up to the top, um, the reason that we started FlyLogix is because if you look at global greenhouse gas emission curves for different industries, um, aviation's got a massive problem. It's the only industry, it's the only major industry doesn't have a global greenhouse gas curve that, that starts to reduce in the sort of 2030, 2040 timeframe. Wow. And, and the thing we say is that's, that's, not, that's not aviation's fault. I mean, actually, aviation is very good at efficiency. It's driven efficiency for sort of 60, 70 years um, because there's an economic value to that. It's basically fighting two mega things. So the first is... Um, our demand for it is just growing the whole time, our demand for aviation services. And then the second thing is it's, you know, you, you'll understand it's fundamentally an energy-intensive activity putting large objects in the air. And so our premise is that there's a huge portion of aviation that would be better served by small unmanned vehicles that, are, that kind of don't fight that laws of physics. So, you know, the obvious example is the police helicopter. You know, police helicopter two and a half thousand horsepower aircraft, two or three crew on it, and it's basically flying a GoPro. You know, it doesn't do much else other than provide a camera platform. Um, And actually, if you start to look into aviation all the way through it, 
you see these applications that probably, if the, if the technology was there, would be better served by a small unmanned aircraft. Not everything, you know, it's a long way before we'll be flying, and you or I'll fly in a plane mm. uh, with no one up the front. But, but all these things from sort of surveillance through to cargo, it's an unmanned, a smaller unmanned aircraft will do that. And so our premise is we want to attack that. But, you know, kind of success is about focus. And so we quite quickly said, right, where are we going to go and find a business that's true to that global greenhouse gas emission thing that the regulator will let us do today that customers will pay us for? And that's where we came back to what you probably see most of, which is that offshore methane emission measurement business. Yeah, fantastic. And I really like, you know, that what you were talking there around um, aviation. You know, demand is increasing, and, and not only from passenger perspective, but um, just the ability to put things in the sky and provide um, all these different types of monitoring across different aspects. And then, obviously, the energy of putting an A380 in the, in the sky is, is pretty big, or... You know, even the energy of putting a, a, a you know, a, a smaller um, Cessna aircraft or something is still much, much more than putting an electric, you know, um, drone up in the sky. So it makes makes a lot of sense, um, which which is great. And so with uh, with Flylogics, what sort of industries do you work in, or, or what what are some of the examples of some of the work you guys have done? Yeah, so the the the, the majority of our the vast majority of our business is in the energy sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, the, and the biggest area of work for us is offshore methane measurement. So, you know, methane is a particularly damaging greenhouse gas. Um, and what the energy companies want to be able to do is they want to get a complete picture of the emissions off, off an offshore facility. So sort of the type of stuff you see off the, um, off the west coast of Australia Um, And if you're trying to make a complete methane emission measurement of your facility, it's actually quite a difficult thing to do because if you're on the facility, you're too close. Mm. Um, You know, you can't see the whole picture. And actually, if you're on a satellite, you know, you can get a course measurement, but you're like hundreds of miles away. It's a really difficult thing to do. And so the sort of Goldilocks zone is sort of a few hundred meters away from the facility, but obviously there's nothing there. Um, And... And, you know, a big manned aircraft, you don't want to bring a big manned aircraft in that, <laughs> that close. close. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, or, people or have done a, it. People have done helicopter, it. I guess. Yeah, you wouldn't want a large exactly. you know, rotoring aircraft. It's, it's disturbing all the air as well and potentially not getting the right measurements. Yeah. And so actually, you know, it's one of these, it's one of these great examples where the unmanned system is actually genuinely the best solution. It's not the sort of I'm trying to drive a a square peg into a round hole. And you do see quite a lot of that, if we're honest, in in the unmanned space. It's sort of genuinely something an unmanned aircraft is just super good at. It can sit around the facility for half an hour, making measurements, very little disturbance, um, very little environmental impact from doing it. And you get this really accurate picture uh, of what your methane emission is. Yeah, right. Okay, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I like the fact that you talk about you know making sure we've got that um, that that square solution for that that square hole or, or vice versa, as opposed to um, to doing that. And so, where are you kind of operating in the world? Are you operating just in the UK? Where where are you sort of using these technologies? Yeah, so the majority of the work we've done today is in the UK, and we've operated all in all different uh, regions around the UK. And and you know for those of those people on the call are sort of not familiar. That's sort of everywhere from the far north of the UK where you've got quite hostile weather 
But actually, mm. it's relatively empty from an aviation space. You've not got lots of other stuff. Down to, to the sort of southern North Sea, where you're in much more congested airspace. So you've got, you've got lots of helicopter traffic, lots of stuff going back and forth towards Europe. You've got lots of military traffic. So I've got a lovely picture of one of our aircraft coming back and an American air-to-air refueling tanker over the top of it with an F-15 uh, refueling sort of all in the same bit of airspace um, so yeah we see you know we've operated all around the UK we're just starting to do some stuff overseas so we've opened an office in Norway um, we've got contracts in Trinidad and Tobago um, starting to do some work in the US so we're starting that expansion based on the sort of blueprint we've got here in the United Kingdom and um, one thing my listeners are going to want to want to going to want me to ask, so I'll ask it up front. So let's talk aircraft. So what are you using? Is this a home built thing that you guys have designed? Have you leveraged other um, emerging technologies from other companies? How have you found the, the right aircraft for the for the solution? Yeah, so we use a fixed wing. It's about a fifty kilogram fixed wing, three and a half meter wingspan aircraft that does does this type of survey work. Flies a couple of hundred kilometers out to the facility, then makes the measurement thing comes home um, we've developed that ourselves um, uh, and we think that's quite important because we think it, you need to control everything in the stack so that you can make the sort of safety case that you need for the regulator um, I think with time Andrew that will mature you know you'll get into a world where probably you're buying in complete aircraft but just the way the regulatory structure works at the moment Control of everything is very, very powerful. And you mentioned there, you know, 200 Ks, and, and I know um, your aircraft can do even further, potentially add even to sort of 500 Ks or so. Um, how are you? How are you doing that? What's the communications link? Is this satellite? How are you managing this? Yeah, so a big part of our intellectual property is our, we call it our communication gateway. So the way that we communicate with the aircraft. Um, and what we have done is we have a very tight relationship with Iridium. Um, we use the Iridium network and we use their new surface uh, platform. I think we're the first people to integrate the sort of higher bandwidth surface product. Um, and that allows us to communicate with our aircraft anywhere in the world. So we can, we can fly an aircraft in Australia and control it from our head office in, in the United Kingdom. So you've got that sort of flexibility associated with the Iridium platform. And I assume that um, that allows you to just have maintenance crews on the ground potentially in, uh, you know, in, in areas and, and you know, fly them from wherever you want. Is that where this got, was this where, is that where the technology is going, do you think? Yeah, so, so actually our CTO and um, our head of software, both ex-McLaren, Formula One, oh, um, cool. and one of, what they're trying to drive is, is that migration you've seen in F1 over the last 15, 20 years. So at the moment... We run the air, we'll fly the aircraft from the takeoff location. So the pilot and co-pilot sit at the takeoff location. Um, that network means that we have an ops room in our head office that is also monitoring the flight so they can talk to the flight crew. And um, what we see is that same migration that you saw in Formula One, where they used to run everything from the pit wall and they duplicated it in an ops room. What we think will happen, same as F1, is over the next five, 10 years most of it will get sucked back to the ops room and you'll be left with you know, a relatively light team at the takeoff location that are just prepping aircraft, 
checking a few things and then letting them go. And that gives you greater flexibility. Yeah, okay. And that, and that makes a lot of sense from an efficiency perspective too. To, to talk um, approvals, how difficult was it to get through your, you know, your CASA equivalent, our, our Civil Aviation Safety Authority, your, your equivalent, um, to get those approvals? Is that a long process that you guys went through to get there? Um, it's, it's a, you know, the regulator is pretty thoughtful on this. Um, I, think, I, mean, I think both the Australian and the UK regulators have done more work than mo- most places around the world on this, are quite thoughtful. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of work in it, Andrew, but it's all pretty sensible stuff. You know, I mean, we, we, we are doing something that, that where safety is absolutely critical mm. um, and you would expect them to be diligent about, about what you have to do. And, and the other nice thing about it is they are, that is a, a developing situation. So they're constantly challenging us. We're constantly improving that safety case. And, and that is as it should be in a sort of new growing business area. So it sounds like you've got the tech, you've got the problem, you've, uh, well, you've got the solution to the problem. Um, you've got aircraft that are flying hundreds of kilometres away. Um, it seems like you've got everything stitched up, but I'm sure there's something next. And, and without uh, revealing, you know, trade secrets of the business, um, where's Logics going? What, what's your next thing that the CEO yourself is, is driving at the board meetings, you know, to, uh, and driving your executive team? Yeah, so, I mean, it's uh, at its base, it's a relatively simple, um, it's a simple strategy. We've got that foundation business, UK Methane. We're taking that same service into other territories around the world. And so we've got a really good, clear blueprint for other regulators of here's how we do it, here's how we do it safely. And then what we're starting to do is step sideways into other similar applications. So the next thing we're doing um, well publicized is we're starting to do work in wildlife survey. So for the offshore wind industry, you have a requirement around bird and mammal survey um, mm. so that you can see the impact you're having. Um, it's very similar service to methane because you're, you're recording high quality data so that you can, you can make an environmental judgment on something. Um, again, that's done by small twin engine manned aircraft flying at very low altitude. As you know, that's not, not the sort of safest type of operation. <laughs> um, and so, and, 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 it's, and it's sort of flying complex grid patterns. So it's the type of stuff that an unmanned aircraft does a super job of. So, you know, that's where we will go next. And the other thing that's publicized is we are starting to, to do some work in logistics. So we have a partnership with uh, a freight company that runs all of the ship and aviation freight into one of the islands around the UK. Um, I think that is further out, but that is certainly something that we're working on, um, working to understand, working to understand the economics, weather windows, all those types of things. So it seems like you've, you've really focused on getting the tech right, and then we can, we can apply that or you can apply that to, to different applications as you find them. Is, it, is that what you're thinking along some of those other applications? Yeah, absolutely. The core tech is exactly the same in all situations. But what we're trying to do is, is pick off markets, understand them, provide an end-to-end service, and then move sideways. Because ultimately, the thing you've got to remember, Andrew, is the, the customer's not playing to a drone. The customer's paying for the outcome. And so you've got to deliver a quality outcome um, uh, for, for it to have value to the customer. Yeah, they couldn't care less how they get their, their, their goods. They, they just want their goods on time. Absolutely. 
Um, so to talk negatively for a second, and we don't like to do this, but it's always good to, to talk a little bit negatively to kind of understand people's thinking. Um, barriers. So, so what are you know? What are some barriers that you're seeing around the place that, that are reducing adoption or or slowing down your adoption um, or your your ability to, to implement as a company? Is there anything that stands out to you that if you could flick a switch tomorrow and it'd be gone, that is is a problem? That is a great question. Um, I don't see. I don't see any single insurmountable barrier. Mm. Um, as you'd expect, the sort of progression of regulation uh, in step. I guess. I guess probably the biggest barrier is getting everything to move in step. So mm. the sort of the, the regulation to move at the pace that it needs to move to match the customer requirements. And, and, and frankly, us to bring the sort of engineering along, alongside it. Um, so it is just, its biggest risk is probably just that marrying up the speed of everything. I don't see any sort of fundamental barrier to it. Um, I see lots of people, you know, I see lots of negativity in the press about things like regulation, but, you know, that's not my impression. The regulators seem to be moving sensible pace trying to address things in a robust manner yeah and i guess you're exactly right and i see it here in australia you know casa cops are bad rap occasionally or more than occasionally and i don't think it's always really fair it's easy to to you know lash out and, and blame a regulator but it, but it sounds like um what you're talking about is some of the stuff that we're trying to combat here in australia too around coordination of effort and, and making sure the industry is in, in step with the regulator and the regulators in step with the industry and we're all kind of working together and something we talk a lot about at Mirrigan is um, you know collabor open collaboration particularly within within the industry um, and, and to be really blunt people not lying about what their you know their abilities you know tell, yeah. tell what you can actually do um, is that what you're seeing on, on the other side of the world as well yeah, I think that I think that's a really that is a really good characterization of it. You've got some very optimistic views being presented about what the technology is capable of. And so quite rightly, you've got regulators being pretty diligent. I think the thing I think you sort of alluded to it, clarity of roadmaps is really mm. helpful. If you can be clear about because you because you know you're trying to get airspace sorted out you're trying to establish clear regulations around the vehicles around pilot skills kind of setting out a timetable a sensible timetable everyone can coordinate around is is valuable i am um, I, I just call people full of it at times and it seems like you've got a far better vocabulary than i do calling it optimistic use of, of their technology <laughs> so I'm, I'm i've written that down i'm going to use that next time i'm, I'm challenged on this stuff as well so to flip the coin yeah. then yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to say English diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I'm uh, I'm the convict down in Australia. Um, so to flip the coin, then where are we going? You know, what are you most excited about over the next five to ten years, or um, you know, over your lifetime as as um, CEO of of, of uh, FlyLogix? Well, I think the thing that's really exciting for us is we are seeing we are seeing because these services are now starting to be delivered. Where, where they require aircraft permanently in bases. So we have bases in three locations uh, in the UK so that our aircraft can constantly run operations out to the, to the offshore um, assets. Um, we've also got the regulator changing the way in which we uh, use airspace. So we've basically got an open airspace model. Mm. That starts to open up all of the more ambitious 
applications of unmanned systems, so the support of things like search and rescue, where it's urgent, or logistics, or fishery patrol, or any, all these things that you, you know, Andrew, you know people have talked about for 10, 15 years, but, but frankly, you've not really had infrastructure in place, and you've not had airspace structures that allow you to operate in that way, suddenly some of those more ambitious things uh, are becoming possible. And that's, you know, that's really exciting to be part of. And uh, I love the application you talked of and, you know, search and rescue and the ability for uncrewed systems and, and drones to get out there and provide that persistent surveillance without, you know, two, three, four people in the back of a rotor wing aircraft. It, it's such a good um, good way of doing things as opposed to the way we typically do it at the moment. So I'm with you. I hope we, uh, I hope we see that in the short term. So, what's, uh, so how do people find out more about you guys? I, I know where I went to find info. How can they find out more about what you're doing or if we've got some UK listeners, which we've got a pretty good UK base and they want to get in contact with you, how, how best do they do that? Um, so if they look at our website, so um, flylogics.com, um, they'll find out more information. I think that website's about to be uh, refreshed with kind of more information on the service. If you looked at our LinkedIn uh, the business is LinkedIn. You see sort of up-to-date uh, news feeds on that. And then you'll also find an inquiries um, email um, there um, and a phone number. And, you know, we're delighted to hear if people have got uh, questions or want to get involved. Uh, or they've got problems they want you to help solve. And I'll make sure, Charles, we um, in, the, in this, the notes for this podcast, I'll make sure I throw the website in and, and your LinkedIn address right. too so people can get across. Um, look, we, we might wrap, wrap it up there. I've got to get to um, my daughter's AFL training and, and you've got a full day of, uh, of work ahead of you, I'm sure. Um, Charles, thanks heaps for, for joining us today from the other side of the world. We, we really appreciate you kicking off our UK tour across um, a few companies um, based in the UK. So, again, thanks very much, mate, and, and thanks for the work you're doing in our industry. Cheers, Andrew. Great to speak.